Welcome to the Plutonomics Podcast with Lori Cammy and Barnaby Levin. The word Plutonomics means the study of wealth. It's our mission to educate, to help clients think about their goals and how they might benefit from working with an advisor to achieve them. But more importantly, it's to make sure our listeners understand both the pros and cons of any issue so they can make informed decisions and increase the odds of finding the right answer for them. You see, it's not who's right or wrong, but knowing there are no disinterested parties or unbiased opinions and that where you sit depends on where you stand. The challenge to making good decisions is to start by questioning one's assumptions and to break free of our prejudices because the truth usually lies somewhere in between. There are always two sides to every issue, both of which have merit. In our last podcast, which we recorded just days before the deadline for the debt ceiling, we considered actions investors might want to take should, God forbid, the discussions failed, or as most pundits were convinced at the time, we were destined to fall into recession before year end. Well, (laughs) it looks like we dodged a bullet with the passage of what I affectionately call the McCarthy Compromise. It was passed for the first time in a while on a bipartisan basis. And in fact, despite the concessions they grudgingly made, more Democrats voted for the bill than Republicans. So both sides can declare victory if they like. Also, now that Jay Powell and the Fed finally decided to pause, giving us a chance to catch our breath and after 10 increases in a row, allow the dust to settle. It's possible, dare I say it, we might avoid a recession as well. While we might not be that lucky, it is true people are beginning to raise their estimates for both GDP and earnings for the second half of this year. But with the following caveat, by passing the bill, the Treasury will now need to sell a trillion dollars of new debt to fund current spending. That's a lot of supply to issue in a short period of time. And without the help from the Fed, rates may rise as well as the market seeks to absorb it. That said, in early May, the conference board's estimate for second quarter GDP was only 0.6. And as of June 15th, Deloitte's baseline forecast, for which they believe there's a 60% chance, is that while the economy will slow, it won't be enough to call it a recession. While tighter monetary policy, anemic growth in Europe and China, higher energy prices, and a strong dollar, especially versus the Chinese yuan, will remain headwinds, household spending is still increasing based on pent-up demand for things like travel and entertainment. So, too, with business investment. It seems likely to continue as well, particularly for information processing equipment and software. And while investment in non-residential real estate may remain weak, especially in office and -and brick-and-mortar retail, according to the folks at Blackstone and Barry Sternlick at Starwood, there's robust demand for other categories, including in most cities, single-family residences and in commercial logistics and data centers. As we've said in other episodes, while recessions have been rolling through the economy one sector at a time, Since the lockdowns began, it seems the economy has overall held together pretty well, and inflation 
as we've been saying for some time, seems likely to settle back to the Fed's hoped-for 2% target on its own before year-end. We're not out of the woods, of course, especially with $2.9 trillion in commercial loans coming due over the next 12 to 24 months at rates that will need to be renegotiated anywhere from 300 to 400 basis points higher. And unfortunately, given the vacancy rates in most urban centers with dramatically less or even no income to pay interest, it's going to make the economics for many of them untenable, suggesting the worst isn't over yet for our beleaguered regional banks. A lot of developers will simply default, like some already have, and hand back the keys to the lenders. But at this point, that now seems to be one of those known unknowns in which all interested parties are working double time to head things off at the past to avoid any more black swans like what happened to Silicon Valley Bank. In other words, we've bought ourselves some time. And while we expect to proceed with many of our more recent recommendations, it may not be quite as precarious as Jeffrey Gunlock said the other day when he took his asset allocation down from 30 to just 20% stock with 60% in bonds and 20% in gold. And regarding Jeff, we should remind listeners that, as always, there are no disinterested parties or opinions. That his firm, Doubleline, just so happens to specialize in bonds. But the dispersion between the most bearish and bullish outlooks hasn't been this wide as it is now since World War II, ranging from a low of 3,400 at BMP Paribas to 3,900 at Morgan Stanley to 4,200 at JP Morgan and Goldman Sachs, who just raised their year end target from 4,000 for the S&P 500 to a high of 4,500. Part of that's because the averages are so dominated by a handful of names, by those, like Prince, formerly known as FANG, which stands for Facebook, Apple, Amazon, Netflix, and Google. If you exclude those along with Tesla and NVIDIA, perhaps, the P.E. for the S&P falls by historical standards to what appears a reasonable 14.9. Now, there's a lot of people who say that doesn't help much, if at all. That, in fact, the recent rally needs to broaden out so more stocks are participating. Or, as with the Nifty 50 in the 1970s, a correction is, in their opinion, inevitable. Well, that may be true. But as we've said before, in my opinion, at least, P.E. alone can be misleading. Affected by things like one-time adjustments and volatile stock prices... It's better on a stock-by-stock basis to focus on the price-to-earnings growth, or PEG ratio, which compares a company's P.E. to how fast it's growing its earnings in the first place. Remember that over time, the market's based on the notion that one is purchasing a stream of future earnings, which, discounted back to today's price, assumes earnings will grow. And if they do, that a share of stock will be worth more one or more years from now than it is today. Fair value, in my opinion, therefore, would be when a stock trades at one times trailing earnings. Because with no change in multiple, 
If a company is growing 10% a year and is trading at 10 times trailing earnings, the stock's price should go up 10% in line with earnings. And by the same token, a company growing 25% a year trading at 25 times trailing earnings should be worth 25% more. As long as the company, through things like innovation, can continue to grow at that rate or higher for years to come. What you're saying then is this has been a stock picker's market dominated by only a few stocks contributing the majority of the S&P 500's rise this year. But nevertheless, the market is trading at 22 times forward earnings. And according to Case Schiller, which takes the 10-year earnings average, it's a 29. So if the average analyst estimate based on forecasted earnings for year-end is excluding that handful of stocks only 14.9, it means growth will either need to accelerate in the second half or that companies will continue to cut their costs, like headcount, at the same pace they already have. In other words, while it does seem that businesses in certain industries can thrive despite the recent rise in interest rates, there's a good chance that one way or another market valuations need to fall, or at least move sideways for a time so earnings can catch up. Well, when companies like Goldman can raise their target from 4000 to 4500 after the market has already risen 15%, doesn't it make these forecasts seem a bit irrelevant? That's why we prefer to focus on big picture themes and trends in our podcasts and articles instead. It's why we began talking about artificial intelligence more than a year and a half ago in February 2022, explaining how AI would have more of an impact than the internet and that we'd be focusing from that point forward on companies at the forefront of it all on everything from machine learning to automation, whether as creators or beneficiaries. It's why we dedicated two podcasts to China in October 2021 to understand how and why Xi Jinping thinks the way he does. And the following March on what being the global reserve currency really means. So when we read how the BRIC nations, including China, India, and our biggest trading partner to the South, Brazil, are meeting this coming August to discuss a new common currency with the intent of weakening the role of the dollar and reducing their reliance on it, investors won't be surprised by the effect it will have on our economy. That group, by the way, also includes Russia, Saudi Arabia, the UAE, and Mexico, not to mention Thailand or Turkey. So yes, people better take this seriously and in the process consider investing in other countries as well, like Warren Buffett has been doing in Japan. The bottom line is we talk about these things so we and our clients, based on everything we hear and see, can steer things where they're going and make changes ahead of time so we're not surprised when they happen. That, as we say in our intro, is our mission, to help clients make informed decisions and increase the odds of finding the right answers. It's why, like T-Mobile CEO Mike Sievert said in a speech at the Foster School of Business, we're constantly asking ourselves questions like, what if, and why not, to challenge not only consensus, but our own bias and assumptions as well. Thanks for listening, everyone. We hope you enjoyed what you heard today. And if you did, 
that you'll share it with friends and family so they can enjoy it too. This is Barnaby Levin and Lori Cammie for the Plutonomics Podcast, signing off. LK Wealth and Asset Management and LCK Wealth are a group of investment professionals registered with Hightower Securities, LLC, member FINRA and SIPC, and with Hightower Advisors, LLC, a registered investment advisor with the SEC. Securities are offered through Hightower Securities, LLC, and advisory services through Hightower Advisors, LLC. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities. No investment process is free of risk, and there is no guarantee that the process or investment opportunities referenced herein will be profitable. Past performance is not indicative of current or future performance, and any investment opportunities referenced may not be suitable for all investors. All data and information referenced are from sources believed to be reliable, and any opinions, news, research, analysis, prices, or other information contained in this research is provided as general market commentary. It does not constitute investment advice. Neither LK Wealth and Asset Management, LCK Wealth, or Hightower shall in any way be liable for claims and make no expressed or implied representations or warranties as to the accuracy or completeness of the data or for statements or errors contained in or admissions from the obtained data and information referenced. The data and information are provided as of the date referenced and such data and information are subject to change without notice. This document was created for informational purposes only. The opinions expressed are solely those of LK Wealth and Asset Management and LCK Wealth and do not represent those of Hightower Advisors LLC or any of its affiliates.